You're listening to the Brandon Women's Bible Study Podcast, led by Leslie Ann Jones. Hey y'all, it's Leslie Ann. I'm so glad to be back with you this week. We've taken a few months off from our study of 1 Samuel, but we started back at it again tonight. This week, we talked about 1 Samuel chapters 1 through 15. We just gave a little bit of a review and a refresher course on everything that we covered in the fall. When we meet again next week, we'll start with week 7 in the Learner Workbook, which is available for download at thevillagechurch.net. Okay, so in case you didn't know, 1 Samuel is a book about kingship. I don't know if you've gathered that since the fall, right? There's a people and they need a king, but as we found out in the fall, the kind of king that they wanted is not at all the kind of king that they needed. They wanted a king like the nations, but they needed a king who was different, one who was better one who is a king after God's own heart. I've heard that one before, right? So as we read and study, you know, starting here in the middle of 1 Samuel chapter 16, we're going to meet Daniel, not Daniel, wrong book of the Bible. We're going to meet David, and we're going to spend the rest of the book of 1 Samuel looking at this relationship between one king that's on the decline and another one that's on the rise. Um, And it's easy to read that just as history, to think, you know, to to look at these people then and these mistakes that they made and not live under it, not apply it to ourselves. But while we're reading, I just want to encourage you to start looking for what God is doing in each and every story. What are we learning about him? Where where do we see him taking action? And if he's not there, like if you can't figure out where God is, then why? Why is he not in this part of the story? And what does that tell us? And then not just looking at who God is and what he's doing in the story, but how do the people respond to what God is doing? How do they react to where he is? And so seeing these two things, I think, what God is doing and how the people respond is going to help us make that leap from then, them then to us now and to bridge the gap between us because God hasn't changed and neither has human nature. So as much as we would like to think that we wouldn't make the same mistakes or do the same things, chances are we would. You know, not much has changed when it comes to human nature. So by recognizing and naming the ways that we are similar to them, we can then begin to see how God would change us, how he would want us to change through the reading of this and studying of it. And we can move on from there. So um, I found this website. It was recommended by another Bible teacher called Bible Summary. It's biblesummary.info. And it is helpful and that this guy, I don't even know his name because it doesn't tell me his name over here in the sidebar, summarized the Bible on Twitter between August of 2010 and November 2013, one tweet per chapter, one chapter per day. So it's the entire Bible, every chapter of the Bible in 140 characters or less. So he did that. And while it can be like very bare bones and to the point... I thought it might be helpful for us today to go back through and read those summaries of 
of what we have read so and where we have been and then go back and talk about some of the implications of that and, and land on where we are now before we move forward. So in 1 Samuel chapter 1, Hannah had no children. She cried out to the Lord, remember your servant. She bore a son, Samuel, and took him to Eli the priest. 1 Samuel 2, Hannah prayed, the Lord humbles and lifts up. Eli's sons did evil, but Samuel served the Lord. A prophet condemned the house of Eli. 1 Samuel 3, the Lord called Samuel. Eli told Samuel to answer, speak, Lord. The Lord told Samuel that he was about to judge the house of Eli. 1 Samuel 4, the Israelites were defeated by the Philistines and Eli's sons were killed. When Eli heard that the ark had been captured, he died. It's, that's not funny. It's funny how like succinct it has to be to fit into 140 characters. Okay. Chapter 5, the Philistines put the ark in their temple. Their God fell on his face before it. The city became cursed, so they sent the ark away. 1 Samuel 6, the Philistines sent the ark away with guilt offerings. The people of Beth Shemesh found it and rejoiced, but some were struck down. Chapter 7, the ark was taken to Kiriath-Jerim. The Philistines attacked Israel. Samuel cried out to the Lord, and the Israelites defeated them. 1 Samuel 8, the elders of Israel asked Samuel to appoint a king. Samuel warned them that it, what it would mean, and the Lord told Samuel to give them a king. Chapter 9. Saul went looking for his father's donkeys. Our favorite part. <laughs> the Lord told Samuel to anoint him ruler of Israel. Samuel invited Saul to eat with him. 1 Samuel 10. Samuel appointed Saul and gave him signs. The Spirit of God came upon Saul and he prophesied. And Saul was chosen to rule the Israelites. Chapter 11. The Ammonites attacked Jabesh-Gilead. Saul gathered the Israelites and defeated the Ammonites. And the people made Saul king at Gilgal. Chapter 12. Samuel said, The Lord brought your fathers out of Egypt. Now he has given you the king you asked for. Fear the Lord and serve him. 1 Samuel 13. The Philistines encamped at Michmash. Saul made offerings to the Lord by himself. Samuel told Saul that his kingdom would not last. 1 Samuel 14. Saul's son Jonathan went against the Philistines and routed them. Saul made an oath that no one should eat, but Jonathan was spared. And finally, chapter 15. The Lord told Saul to destroy Amalek, but Saul spared King Agag. Samuel told Saul that the Lord had rejected him. And Samuel killed Agag. So we ended in the fall on that very happy note, right? Um, which, high point in the story, right? Yay! No, it was not like that at all. But looking back over all of these chapters that we have studied and, and all the things that we have talked about, um, you know, these summaries are helpful, but they don't tell us much about God, really, about what we have learned about God over the course of the past several weeks of study. So let's go back through and talk about some of the things that we see God doing in these chapters. So in the first week of our study, or I guess it was technically week two of our, in our study, we talked about chapters one through three. This is where Hannah's praying. She's crying out for a son. And if you'll remember this period that 
this time period in history was not a good period, right? It was full of chaos and corruption. There was a lot going on. The reign of the judges was coming to an end, and there's just kind of a lot of tumult happening. And so we see God intervening in the midst of that to raise up a faithful prophet who will both deliver his word and do his work. And that baby who becomes a boy in the temple, who then grows into a man who does the work of the Lord, is Samuel. So the very first message that Samuel gets is not a good one, right? It's about the downfall of the current high priestly family. And we see that in chapter 4. God deposes Eli's Eli and his family and his shockingly corrupt sons. Everything was super bad. He strips them of their authority and takes it all away. And we're left at the end of that week just in despair because it was bad, right? What happened, if you remember, they were like soundly defeated. But we can see in chapters 5 and 6, that was that whole... um, Ark, the Ark week, you can see that God reminds the people, even though the battle was tragic, they lost not just the high priestly family, but thousands of Israelites were killed, right? Um, But we see him reminding his people through the battle and the Ark's journey through Philistia that God will not be manipulated and he will not be treated like a good luck charm. Remember, they wanted to bring the Ark into battle because as long as the Ark's here, we're going to win. But God said, no, that's not the way it is. That's not the way it works. And he keeps his word always, even when that word is a terrible word, like the one against Eli's family. We see him bringing that word to completion, fulfilling his word. And he will also uphold his own glory. He does not need us. He chooses to use us, but he does not need us. He will be glorified whether we join in or not. He is sovereign over even Israel's worst enemies. Um, And he's fierce and strong, fearful in his glory, so fearful that they sent that ark right on back, right? They, they being the Philistines, put the ark on a cart. The cart made its way all the way back to Israel all by itself without anyone directing it. And God returned to his people of his own accord Um, whether they were faithful or not, he remained faithful. And so then after all of that, after the ark passages where, you know, the Philistines are sending it back and and God has made his glory known and proved his sovereignty over everyone, um, there's a passage where there's like this brief period in between when the ark returns and when they demand a king, when there's a battle, And they win. They trust in the Lord. They put their hope on him. And it's this picture of what things could be like if they would only trust in God. (laughs) That they recognize him as king. And when when they trust in him, he gives them victory over their enemies. But they quickly forget. Like it does not take long that he's the only king that they need. They had been set apart to be a people holy to the Lord. But they didn't want that. They wanted to be people like everybody else. They wanted to be like the nations. And so they demanded a king so they could be like everyone else. And that was in chapters 7 through 10. So in chapters 11 11 through 13, 
we see um, that Saul has now been raised up. He has been selected as the king. He has been chosen. But you also see God continuing to save his people even in the midst of their rejection. They rejected him, but he continues to save them regardless. Samuel kind of takes a step back. He leaves the people in the hands of this king that they have chosen. And how does that go? He has this one shining moment, right? There was one battle where he did all the right things, and it's like, yay, Saul, this is going to be good. Everything's going to be great. But it's short-lived, right? It's just that one time that we have record of that Saul does the right thing. And after that, where we ended at the end of the fall in chapters 14 and 15, it really didn't take long for things to go downhill. Saul refused to do things God's way. The people suffer for it. He loses Samuel's support and starts following his own will instead of the Lord's. And the consequences are disastrous. They are not good. You remember that scene where Samuel confronts him about sparing Agag and Saul reaches out for him and tears Samuel's robe as Samuel's walking away and Samuel says, God has torn the kingdom from you. Those are not good words, right? So he loses the kingship because he has recklessly disregarded the will of the Lord. He has refused to submit to the Lord's authority, thinking that his own plans, his own thoughts, his own ways are better than the Lord's. And that, in the end, is his undoing, that refusal to submit. And we are left wondering, what's going to happen next? And that's where we're going to pick up this time around. We will meet David this week in our study. Chapters 16 is that famous one where um, God is rejecting his brothers one by one. You know, they're trotting out all the older brothers. How about this one? He looks good. How about this one? He's nice and strong. And the whole time God says, no, not that one. No, not that one. That's not the one either. And where is David? He's in, he's in the sheep field. He's looking out over the sheep. And so they finally bring David out, and he is the one that God chooses. And so we're going to spend the rest of this book looking at that situation where Saul is still king, but David has been chosen, and David has been anointed. And so it's one is on the way down, the other one's on the way up. So we'll see in David how different things could be with a king who is faithful, one who honors the Lord, one that God has chosen, one who does the will of the Lord most of the time. And we know that David wasn't perfect, right? He made his mistakes, but he was faithful in a way that Saul was not. There are differences between the two, and we'll look at those differences But even with David, um, this man that became a king, who became the king that the Old Testament writers would refer to as, you know, this golden era in Israel was the reign of David. When you move forward in the Old Testament histories, in 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles and like all those, the rest of the history books about the kings and their 
their kingdoms and how things went, they were always compared to David. Either he walked in the ways of his father David, or he did not. And if he walked in the ways of David, he was a good king. But if he didn't, not good for him. And so David becomes this figure who is pointing us to something else, right? Because even David falls short. He is the best that they've got, but he's still not good enough, right? Think about what you know of David's story. He's this great king, but he also failed spectacularly. Bathsheba, one instance, oh, let me have this guy murdered. That's not good, right? And there are other situations, too, where um, David's story, like, if you continue on and read through 2 Samuel, like, if we work our way up to getting this king and you think that this is going to be amazing, like, finally, we have this king who is God's king, and he's going to write everything that's wrong, And we, but no, David's family is a wreck, like a huge wreck. The aftermath of his reign is not good. That's not creepy at all. <laughs> that's not creepy. Everything's fun, nothing to worry about. Anyway, the aftermath of David's reign, though, his family, he has a son who, like, tries to take over his throne, chases him into the wilderness, and, you know, tries to have him assassinated and killed. This is not good, right? You think David's, everything's going to be great, and but it's not. It's not great, and it's not perfect, because what I see in David, what I really see all of the Old Testament telling us, whether it is the Israelites in Egypt and Moses leading them out of bondage or when they're in the wilderness and things are so bad, you know, I mean, or whether it's the, the laws in Leviticus that show them that they need sacrifices, they can't approach a holy God. Every single bit of the Old Testament is pointing us to the new and every single bit of it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ who is the king that we need. And so what you see in David, no matter how good he was, no matter how much better, I guess, he was than Saul, he was still only human. And he could never be everything that we need. He could never fulfill everything that we need in a king. But he does point us to something better. He is the first in the line of kings that Jesus will eventually step into. God gives David a promise that says, you know, there will always be a king of your line on the throne in Israel. And what he's talking about is not all these human kings that follow, but he's talking about Jesus. And that's what we're waiting for, is a king like Jesus. So as we finish out this study over these next few weeks, um, this is the question that I want you to keep in the back of your minds. They were a people who were desperate for a king to rule over them. They desperately needed rescue. They needed someone to come and save them. They thought that their salvation was going to come in the form of a king like the nations. So here's the question. 
We're all ruled by something. So what is ruling you? Is it a king like the nations? Are we allowing ourselves to be ruled by the things of this world, the ways of this world, the values, the morals, or lack thereof, all the things that this world prizes is a desire for those things ruling you. Or are we being ruled by God? Are we submitting to his authority? Are we following after him and bowing down to him and choosing his ways over the world's? So that's the question for all of us as we study and as we read. It's a question that we'll all have to answer. God is king. Whether we bow down to him or not, he is king. Our submission does not change his authority. He is sovereign. He always has been and he always will be. But what's beautiful to me about this story is that He intervenes in a way that his people needed. David and the rest of the monarchy that followed, they were like a stopgap to, like like sticking a finger in a dam that's leaking, right? Like it's not going to fix the problem. It's just going to plug the leak for a little while until the real king can come. And so um, it's beautiful because it's a picture of the king that we need. It points us to our need and shows us that no matter how good that earthly king may be, he's not as good as Jesus. Nothing else will do. So that is all that I have for tonight. Next week, we are going to talk about chapters 16 through 19. So that starts on page... 92 in your workbook. I know that you have all missed the homework. Um, So if you will work through that before we come, I am going to do my best to figure out how to talk about four chapters concisely. (laughs) And yet in depth. I don't know how to do this, but I hope you'll bear with me and we'll do that together. Yes, we are going to do week seven next week. So we'll, that's what we'll talk about it's on page 92. All right, well, I will pray for us, and then we can visit or head out or do whatever. So let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your glory and your goodness, for your word. God, I pray that you will just reveal your majesty to us. Lord, that we would be people who would bow down before you. God, that we would be changed by what we do in this place, Lord, and that your name would be lifted high and glorified in us, not just now while we're in this room, Lord, but as we go out into the world. Lord, I pray that you would bless these next few weeks, that you would give us the strength that we need, the, um, I guess, endurance to stick with it, and um, the wisdom to study well. Lord, help us to understand, help us to see, Help us to know God and help us to be changed by it. 
Father, we love you and we ask all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.